dump that through. I think I got everything else sort of set up here. Hopefully I don't sound tinny anymore. Well, it doesn't sound like a thousand dollar mic, but it's clear. It's loud and clear. So we're good with that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't bring one of those with me. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Most people don't have that in their back pocket. I got to get me some acoustics in here. I still hear some echo. Yeah. He needs some panels. <laughs> yeah. Great. Hey, before we start. How do you pronounce your last name? Is that Prosenko, uh, Prochenko? Yeah, Prosenko, you got it Prosenko. right. Prosenko, good. Yeah. Whatever, I mean, this is the kind of yeah. podcast where you can uh, you can goof off. And <laughs> <laughs> it's all great. Well, 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 we're back. Oh, before I forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, press pause now. Go ahead and share it on social media and let your friends enjoy it too. The more, the merrier. On this episode, we're going to Toronto to have a chat with one of the coolest lighting guys I know. And I'm not just saying that because he has orange hair. Fox Brasenko has pretty much done it all, from tour buses to planes to movie sets, you name it. Oh, and before we start, I've been getting emails asking where I got the podcast opening theme music. Not. Just kidding. Nobody gives a shit about the music, but hey, it's my podcast, so I'm going to play it anyway. The Backstage Cowboys podcast is brought to you by AVL Media Group and Avolites, who make the best lighting consoles in the world. If you live in Canada, you now have access to the Avolites Academy online learning platform. The cost is $229, and that includes an editor AvoKey delivered directly to your door. Head on over to BackstageCowboys.com and click on the Avolites Academy logo to get all the details. Now, if you don't live in Canada, well, that means you're in another country. So if you're in the United States, head on over to Avolites.us. Anywhere else in the world, just go directly to Avolites.com and you'll find all the resources available in your country. And now, let's get on with the show. Here is another episode of the Backstage Cowboys podcast. Hit it! I think this is the first time we, we actually speak live, right? Yeah, I think we've talked over email for like almost a year now, but I haven't actually like spoken to you live. Everything's either been through Facebook or through an email process. Yeah, that's right. So, how you doing, man? How, how are you surviving all this crappy stuff we're having? I'm waiting. <laughs> it's literally right now, it's a lot of waiting for the phone uh, to ring. Um are Film you are you guys bunch. shut down right now or or yeah oh, we're shut down until uh, they just announced this morning that thirty first of this, of January wow um, is when they're going to reopen venues to fifty percent capacity <sighs> and then full hundred percent capacity if everything holds by March fourteenth wow. so live is still kind of in the gutter uh, as far as work excuse me but uh, film is basically about to ramp up they've got six productions going to camera in february and another six in march and april so there's lots of film work that's gonna pop up in the meantime at least it should be 
Well, that's good. At least you guys have a date. Uh, we don't know anything yet. Uh, we have a press conference at 2 p.m. We'll see what the hell goes on with that. But I don't know. Well, they release we'll you see. as a lockdown? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're because a total we're... lockdown. Everything's shut down now. Uh, I mean, they just removed the curfew last week. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. So, uh, I try to avoid the topic of COVID because, you know, it's... It, it's a bummer, it, for it, sure. It's a bummer. It's been covered left and right, up and down. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't have to talk, talk about it. good times, man. So, um, mm-hmm. so you're you're a light guy, obviously. Um, yeah. So, what what do you do right now? I mean, I I see that you're working on all sorts of stuff. Uh, you're you're doing film, corporate yeah. events, uh, Both, bands, tours, all of whatever. The above? <laughs> yeah. uh, nothing touring. I wish I was touring again. I I, oh. I, I sort of miss falling asleep on a tour bus or in the back of a van. Um, I've been doing a lot of film. Uh, and then when we had uh, our brief shining moment of st- of uh, events recently last year in the last quarter, uh, I picked up my old uh, position at the museum just to sort of help them get some events out the door and produce some events there. Uh, I was also house tucking at the Phoenix Concert Theater here in Toronto because uh, they needed somebody. Um, Independent is a couple of commercial shoots. Uh, I ended the year the same way I started it with a live stream from, uh, we were supposed to be at History, uh, but of course COVID. So uh, when we all got shut down at the end of December, we moved back to the band's rehearsal space and produced another live stream um, for with obviously lighting. Otherwise I wouldn't have been involved. And uh, yeah, I kept, I was very fortunate. I'm very, very thankful that I, uh, I dipped my toe into film Wow, wow, September 2020, uh, and then I've sort of been off and on, and then last year I spent a lot of time in film uh, while we were waiting for live to come back, uh, and then when live did come back, I, I sort of had one foot in one door and one foot in the other, and kind of took the best of both worlds while we are waiting for uh, touring to come back. I mean, Toronto's a hard, or like, not Toronto, Canada's a hard market for touring anyway, right? Because of the, yeah. in the States, you have so many like pockets of of markets where you can just like it's a four-hour drive and you've got another another set to play to right Mm -hmm. whereas in canada if you're not in the golden horseshoe around toronto or like within driving distance of montreal or quebec city like it's it's the string of markets is harder to to justify a tour especially with the current uh environment yeah well even within quebec uh i've toured quebec a lot and uh, I mean, eleven-hour drives—you know—that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and and going to uh, going to places where th- that are only accessible by plane—that uh, happened too. I, I remember this time where uh, we we left Montreal, we went to Sept-Îles, landed there, and then we left Sept-Îles to go to Fermont. And before we left Sept-Îles, it was a snowstorm. It was really really rocky. And uh, the pilot says, uh, well, okay, uh, there's a big storm in Fairmont. We're not sure we're going to be able to land, but uh, we'll try. Oh, great. <laughs> so I asked the flight attendant, I said, what does he mean we'll try? <laughs> well, she says, we're going to try and get there. And uh, once we're there, if they can land, then they will. If they can't, we'll just turn around and come back here. I said, why don't we just stay here? 
Because if I'm going to get stuck somewhere, I'd rather be in Satil than Fermont. <laughs> right, exactly. Fermont, yeah. it's a mining village. I mean, there's a big wall. Everything's in the wall. Everybody lives in the wall. Everything's in the wall. So right. I mean, you don't want to get stuck there. So anyway, nope. uh, we made it. <laughs> I'm glad you made it. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, I've, I, I remember flying up to one of the indigenous reserves uh, north of Winnipeg. And we literally had to take a way to fit everything in a small, like, seven-seater plane. Like, all the band's back line, all the, uh, <clears throat> all the extra equipment they'd, they'd rented from, like, whoever in Winnipeg all had to go into the back of this plane. Mm. Uh, it was uh, it was interesting. And, yeah, we flew up to the basically the middle of nowhere. Luckily, it was summertime. But still, like, mm. there's only way in and out of this uh, native reserve is, a, is by plane. Like, you can't drive there. They wow. all have cars, but you can't drive there. I thought was really <laughs> weird and interesting. Well, that's the country we live in. There's yeah, unaccessible I, places that we need to go to. Yep, <laughs> it's true. Tell me, when you're, uh, the films you've been doing lately, uh, are you like strictly board op or, uh, or are you involved with other stuff like setting up and, had, and whatever? I had a couple of different uh, hats I was wearing. When I started on... Uh, the first film I did, uh, we did up north in Sudbury, uh, was Fixation, and I was the board op and sort of like uh, a dimmer systems tech as well, just to make sure, because we had like 120 Titan tubes all doing a whole bunch of stuff. Like it was a, a very sophisticated uh, setup for a film shoot mm -hmm. um, in an abandoned hospital in Sudbury. Uh, and we did, yeah, so I was like sy I, system designer and, and the, the board operator for the show. Uh, and for the entire run of the film. And then when I came back to Toronto, I sort of, I filled in as a board operator on a couple shows. Uh, I was the rigging board operator for Umbrella Academy, which is a uh, rigging board operator is a position that exists to basically be the systems tech. You basically make sure that all the GMX works and you have control of everything in the set via practicals or whatever. Okay. Uh, and then uh I moved to a new show uh, because I was bumped because I'm not a member of the union. Uh, so I, <laughs> yeah, it was, I, was, I was on Umbrella for about three and a half months. And then uh, I moved to a new show called Mayor of Kingstown where I then became, I was supposed to be the, the next board operator when uh, the first, the, the original guy, uh, his wife was due. So I was supposed to take his position. And then the gaffer uh, asked me to take care of the Kingston Pen Project, as we called it, because a good half of that show was shot in Kingston Penitentiary, which is now a decommissioned prison. Uh, that's a uh, open for tours as a museum, but you also can film there. So I spent about over the course of the six month run. I think I spent two months total in like three weeks or four weeks snippets in Kingston, Ontario, just uh, setting up and making sure supervising the setup uh, and ensuring that everything worked well in, uh, in the prison like retro not retrofitting but we, we basically took out every fluorescent tube that we were shooting in and put an Titan tube in hmm. i think my full count by the end was 437 titan tubes wow um i took the position of his rigging gaffer which is basically the guy who if we're looking at non-film uh nomenclature or, or or verbiage we would talk about the rigging gaffer is basically the person in charge of setting up and tearing down all of the electrical or lighting equipment 
on a given set. Uh, the rigging gaffer's crew is in charge of making sure uh, when we go to locations that we, we set up adequate power, we have everything ready so that the shooters can come in and just shoot, uh, and we set it up and tear it down. So it's it's, it's, it's like half management and half um, planning kind of deal. Uh, so, and because of my experience at the museum and my experience in, in, in the AV industry and corporate and, uh, I, uh, the gaffer thought I was a good, good choice for it. And I did it for an entire season. So cool. Which is so, very, you, very rare. You say you're not a member of the, uh, of the union, but, uh, what's, what's the criteria? I, I mean, I, I used to be uh, a man. Uh, well, I was a member, uh, and they called it permissionaire. I had like a permit. Yep, uh, or a temporary member or whatever, but it was Actis in Quebec before before it merged into IA. Um, but so, so what's the criteria? I mean, how what do you need to do to be a, a, a full-time member? Uh, so they want 120 days uh, on IA, like shows, Okay. first of all. Then you need three character references. Uh, and then you have to go through uh, a membership screening process where they look at your dates, they look at all your your resume and stuff, and then it gets voted on at the meeting. Um, there were a few of us left. I, now, they also only let in a certain amount of members in each block. So uh, I didn't make the block last time, but I suspect this time I'll be all right. There was a number of people uh, like that were rather upset that I didn't make it last time. So their voices were heard, and I feel like I just reapplied, actually, because the next... Uh, the next run, I believe, is in April. Okay. So yeah, it basically comes down to numbers. Like they they can't let in because film, especially in Toronto, is like it's usually like an eight month thing, or and then a four months of dryness, or four months of, of like less work. So they don't want to have like a thousand electric members and then have all those people sitting at home. Yeah. For four months. Yeah, it makes right? sense. Of course. Yeah, me, I should have signed up. Um, you know, it, it's a funny thing because here in Quebec, it was Actis, and then the local 514 was born, mm-hmm. and IA started, you know, making their way into the movie industry in Montreal. And uh, I was on the, uh, um, what was it, um, Death Race uh, shooting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, they were going around uh, recruiting people. So I could have signed up at that time, and uh, the problem is I was at the other end of the set, which was like half, half or three quarters of a kilometer, <laughs> you know, all throughout all the buildings, and I, I had like an office on the second floor. I was really even Kraft couldn't find me, and uh, the, they didn't find me obviously. So I never got a chance to uh, uh, to become a member that day. I, sh- I I wish I had, but anyway. Today, Programmers um, are harder now in the union. It was it was a weird thing to move from live entertainment into film. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a number of people in the film union who have been saying, "No, no, no, you have to, you have to join." And I was always too busy. But then when when there wasn't work, all of a sudden there was. Uh, they're about in my thought process. Five, I don't want to say five years behind, but like the idea of up until about five years ago in Toronto, maybe six, we. Uh, Anytime they needed someone with sophisticated uh, programming for DMX consoles, it was a uh, they would hire a production company. Let's like whether it be Westbury, Apex, Christy, PRG, whoever, 
who would come with a tech with the board to program. I did it on Degrassi a number of times mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff in my early career where I was on a film shoot and I was the the specialist as they called me, right? Yeah. Uh, and then that, that was outsourced. It was outsourced. Yeah. And now I feel like it was five or six years ago because I think everyone I've talked to in the union has told me that Suicide Squad was the show that they realized that they could have a piece of that pie. So they got started getting their own operators, right? Uh, or like a couple of the people who are operators in 873 were like bought Grand MAs and bought consoles and then they started training some people and other people filtered in from other like live avenues uh, and then they started building up a, a system of board operators. But board operating is different in a in a film set than it is in live because the person at the board in live is the one in control on a film set. You are data entry. <laughs> you're, you're you're just waiting for instructions. That's it. You're hundreds of hundreds yeah. of fixtures at hundreds of intensities at hundreds of color uh, color temperatures. Record, save. The only time that you're really creative is if you show the gaffer something and he decides, oh, I want, or he or she decides, oh, I want to put that in the show. Yeah. Right? Like it's it's never, you're not, you are not in control. You are just data entry. And that's what a lot of the moving light programmers I know who have done live, who came into film for the past year, are just like, I hate it. I hate just sitting here and putting numbers in. There's nothing to do because there isn't. Like once the once the camera rolls, you're not unless there's a, th a gag that happens during the sh during the shot, you're sitting there. Yeah, it's good money, but you're just you're just data entry. You need to invest in a comfy chair, which yeah. is which is the chair I'm sitting chair. on right now. Actually, I oh, yeah? bought it for uh, what was it? Uh, Journey to the center of the earth. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I bought the the one I'm sitting on. I bought after fixation. It's a uh, it's this like portable oh like, yeah it's a 40 dollar chair that i got on amazon and it is the comfiest thing ever i use it when i'm programming i i the, the, the chair i sit in when i'm programming at home because it's just like it's nice and comfy it's low to the ground i it's feel old i feel old because when i started doing movies we didn't have amazon <laughs> or maybe it was there but it was just it just wasn't a thing at the time you know <laughs> i uh i had someone uh, or I think it was last year when I was on the set. Uh, I was making cracks. I'm like, oh man, I've been programming moving lights and, and moving like consoles for oh Jesus, 16 years. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> How old I are you? We making, I'm 40. 40. Uh, you don't look it. Yeah. No, it's because I dye my hair. Um, makes me look <laughs> younger. You can't see all the white. Uh, and I keep cleanly shaven too. Uh, yeah, I've been programming. Like I started on a Hog Two on a cruise ship. Oh, in like my favorite. Two thousand and four. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. I'm partial. I never never forget the 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 use of being on a Hog. Um, yeah, I started with Hog, and then I moved on into Avo, and then MA, and as as down the line. But yeah, I I've been my first operating gig was in an ice rink on a cruise ship mm -hmm. in the middle of the Caribbean. When was that? Two thousand and four. Okay. So it would have been around this time in 2004, actually, because I had been, I was like most of the way through my first contract on a Royal Caribbean ship and the guy left and I got promoted internally and because I was training to be, like I was learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, yeah, it was a, 
I can't believe it's like 16, 17 years ago. That's, that's how tough time was that? Flies. I mean, when, when you got your hands on, on a hog for the first time, was it like in a, in a situation where you, you had a show going on or did you have time to play with it before or what, how, how was the learning curve on that board? I had, I had shadowed, uh, the two lighting techs we had, the one that was in, that was my predecessor in the studio and the, the, the one in the theater. So I was signed on the ship as a stagehand. Uh, and then I basically spent most of my time when I wasn't scheduled to work as a stagehand, I was shadowing the two lighting techs, learning how to fix like Mac 500s and Mac 600s and PAL 1220s <laughs> and cyber lights and huge nine light uh, blinders with Y-Run color scrollers. Like I could, it, I, I learned all of these things while we were at sea on the mechanics. ships. More mechanics than Mechan electronics at that point. <laughs> but also things, yeah, all, all like stepper motors and stuff. But once yeah. I got like, and the console too, like learning things about how it does things. And most of the shows on the ships are time-coded, which makes it a little bit easier for a learning environment. Because um, once the, the tape syncs up, the console does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and you call follow spots. But for shows where you had to be creative on your own, it gave me that environment to be like, okay, well, uh, it's just a kid's skate, so the lights can do whatever I want them to do, except massive strobing. So here's how you program cues. Here's how tracking works. Here's how HTP versus LTP works on a hog console. And I mean, I, I did go to school for theater, so I knew a bunch of the basics from a, like an ETC console, but like learning uh, moving light consoles and how moving lights worked and how they how you recorded things was uh, was a bit of a curve, but you know, you get there. Yeah. Did you, you ever learn. use uh, Synergy? Evo Light Synergy on, on, a, on a movie set or anywhere else, for that matter? No. The closest thing to using on a movie set I would have used, uh, I mean, I used uh, Resolume Arena, uh, and then I had a Catalyst back in the old days when we were doing, uh, like if we had to do video video stuff, it was through uh, Catalyst or Maxedia or Mbox? I can't remember. Mbox, that's the one that PRG has, yeah. Hmm. Media servers and media servers and media server, <laughs> but not the Synergy. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, well, keep... that's what's fun about Synergies. When you, uh, uh, we we did a test um, at Mel's, where we had those uh, those panel lights. Uh, what the hell are they called? The 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 Ari uh, Sky Panel Sky Panel. You know RGB, yep. and mm -hmm. uh, we just ran video through them. Because the guy oh, said, wow. well, you know, when you have a burning building and they're not shooting on green screen anymore, they're shooting on actual, you know, landscape with uh, LED panels. And uh, then the DOP calls the shot and says, okay, I want a fire effect. And it's got to yep. be synced with what's going on, like the burning building and the explosion and, and all that. And So you just looped in the, in the yeah. video. That's, and then you say, well, I need time to program. And there's never any time to program, right? So nope. they need the effect now. So this thing is like a no-brainer. You just run the video, the same video that's running on your background, you run it through your lights. Yeah. And you sit back and everything's synced and you don't have to worry about Here's it. Use your fire effect. Yeah. It'll ask you to change a couple of colors, maybe change the like the, the the red or the green value to match, and then there off they go. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I have not had the opportunity to do that yet. Last time we did a fire effect, uh, it was uh, we did it old fashioned with a whole parkan brig on the back of a truck um i think i still have a photo let me see if i can put this up <laughs> it was it was i it to, to the gaffer's credit it made a whole lot of sense but uh, i've never 
did I not take a photo of it? Oh, no, I gotta find it. I don't. Uh, I'll find it for you. But basically, it's take the back of a pickup truck. The grips put pipe all around, and mm. we we like horizontally mounted seven bars of six wow. all around the the back of the truck, uh, and then a big dimmer and fired them go. in a it, like we pixel mapped 48k of pars basically is how, works. We, how we described yeah, it it still works i mean pars are pars. oh yeah it still works uh, i remember we were simulating a bus accident and it was actually one guy with a spot in his hand running towards the camera <laughs> and it yep. worked <laughs> the magic of film it doesn't look like it's gonna work until it does right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh, so i um so that's uh, that's how you started. You said you were uh, on a cruise ship. How old were you yep. at the time? I mean, I'm, I'm you know I got dates in my head, but it's uh, uh, your first gig. That would have been two thousand and four. So that's seventeen. Oh, eighteen years ago now. Uh, Twenty two. Okay. Twenty three, I think when I started. Hmm. Cause I literally finished university and went on a ship. I like I finished university in May or April, May of '03, and then I was on a cruise ship by October. So, what did you study exactly at university? Uh, I went to Dal for technical sonography, so which is basically technical theater. Um, and I my focus was lighting and stage management when I was there. Um, so, this is kind of where I uh, I guess I ended up. Yeah, uh, Dallas in Halifax. That's where I'm from. Oh, okay. uh, oh, you're from Halifax. Okay. And then I moved. Yeah, I moved to Toronto in two, uh, after the ships in 2006, and I kind of stayed here because that's where all the work is. Yeah. <laughs> I've toured back home with bands ton- of a few times, but I've been home. I used to go every once in a while when we were touring a lot, but now it's you know a little bit less. My mom moved up here too, so okay. we're all living. In Toronto now, although with the housing prices, I might want to move back. Well, that's. I mean, now now that you tell me you're in, you're in what you're you how close are you to downtown Toronto where you live? Uh, I'm at Wilson and Jane, so twenty minute drive downtown. Oh, that's close. Yeah, like I'm still in Toronto, so yeah. but I'm in North York, but yeah. But I, I'm I'm guessing that you know uh, the paycheck is according to to the area, right? I mean, yeah, I mean in film it definitely is in film is. It's a lot of money to be made in film, um, which is great. Uh, live, we're still, it's getting better. It, it is getting better. Uh, with with the pandemic and the changes that happened because so many AV companies, A, went out of business and so many people moved on to different career paths or left the, the business, so to speak. When we came back, I discovered this in September when we came back to doing live events, finding people like quality people was difficult and things just cost more uh, mm. to get the right people you need, right? So the our pay scale in live is slowly getting up to where it's tolerable. Before the pandemic, I would say that it was, it was not great. Um, but since then, now everyone's sort of banded together and said, no, 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 I don't want to work for, we're not working for less than this much, mm-hmm. which has made the quality of life gone up a little bit. People aren't scrounging around for four-hour calls anymore. Well, it has to. I mean, I'm me being. I'm on the south shore of Montreal, so housing, mm-hmm. up until recently, was extremely affordable, and uh, I noticed that because you know from going to Toronto and going to uh, to Vancouver and looking just for fun, oh, yeah. just lo- just looking at the listings, and uh, and and you'd get like 
this semi-detached falling apart house for 1.5 million you know with with a very very small lot and i figured oh god i mean you can get that for 150 in montreal or or yeah, you know, yeah. In suburbs of montreal um recently uh i just freaked out i mean i i've i've got neighbors that that sold their houses and i just freaked out when i found out how much they got for them because it was it just you know and we we figured it was coming yeah uh, so i'm so glad that i'm you know I've been I've I've been the owner of a house since '88, so oh, wow. <laughs> took a while before it, it it went up, but now it's I guess it's really worth it. Uh, but oh, I can just good. imagine. I mean, if you're you're new in the market, you're just arriving in Toronto and you're shopping for a house. I mean, whew, what are your chances? Uh, I mean, not really that great. I mean, we're renting a house right now, which is not so bad, but it's still like it's the the market here is really really expensive uh it's very i think the average price i saw on the internet yesterday was like a million five like a million dollars is the average price right now toronto's been in in a housing bubble for a long time Mm -hmm. uh so it's eventually that when that when it like here in vancouver burst it's going to be a whole lot of whole lot of pain for a whole lot of people that have like million dollar mortgages but yeah there's 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 the influx of people who are buying homes as investment, but not living in them or renting them out is mm-hmm. causing the housing has kept our housing prices high. Uh huh. Yep, that's one thing. But yeah, I mean, we'll try to move out of the city once. You know, we'll see how this year goes and uh, see how the lease, like our lease, is still for another year and a half. So once we get to the end of that, we'll reevaluate whether we're going to move out of the city or if we've put up, we've got enough away to do a down payment, but like it is, I mean, I got at least we have a, we're not in a condo anymore. Uh, we moved during the pandemic cause the dog got a lot bigger than he was when he was, <laughs> as he grew, he he grew <laughs> exponentially. So what was a small puppy became a very large teenager. Um, and he, uh, now we got a yard for him. So, Oh, that's, that's good. helpful. That's good, yeah. Especially if you have kids, I mean, you need you need yep. you have space to room, uh, yeah, space to room, room space, room to to move. Spa- yeah, space room, to move, room to yeah. have space to move, room to breathe. Yeah. I say that works. I say this during every interview. I'm a French guy. I think in French and I speak in English, so come, sometimes no, it fine. comes out funny. So it's fine. <laughs> so, um, what are your plans for the future? Uh, I mean, okay, so you're doing film, you're doing, uh, you know, corporate or whatever. I mean. Is, do you have plans to settle down in one particular niche or are you just, you know, taking whatever passes by? Um, I mean, I, I, I honestly didn't think this is where I would be. Uh, I mean, when, when the company I was working for went, uh, went into receivership, it kind of, and, and the pandemic as well, gave a whole lot of perspective on, well, what do I want to do? Um, and in doing film... Um, I can't ever stop doing live music. Uh, l- doing lights to for a band is the most uh, like satisfying thing. Yeah. I, I, I can't I can't not do it. Uh, and so every t- every opportunity I have, I do that. Uh, I I kind of feel like the next little I'm I'm gonna continue doing both for now. Uh, to go back to being a lighting designer uh, for bands and doing stuff in film, because uh, it it's been good. 
I, I've been really happy at work. Uh, there are a few corporate clients that I still have uh, really good ties with, uh, the museum being one of them, uh, and a couple of other corporate clients that I worked with uh, through Westbury that I'm still going to maintain relationships with, um, that I might production manage for them. Or uh, in previous incarnations, I had been sort of there, the person they go, we may get AV from somebody else because we're nowhere near you. But if, can we have you come supervise them? Yeah. So, like, it's a it's a mix of like AV consultant work slash production management, and then doing lights for bands and uh, film sets. It's kind of where I'm sitting right now, and I'm gonna ride that line until something new and interesting pops up. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of new and interesting, um, in all those years you've been uh, doing lights. Um, Pretty sure you must have a couple of anecdotes or uh, funky stories, things, you know, weird things, funny things. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I just triggered something there. Eh? I just, there's there's a lot of them. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, where do I start? Okay, um, 2008 was my second cross country tour with uh, the winners of Canadian Idol. Um, so that was the year with, uh, the last year they did it actually. So that would have been, um, oh my God, how do I forget their names? Uh, that was Drew, Mitch and Theo. There we go. Theo won. Mitch McDonald was second and, uh, Drew Wright was third. Uh, our stage manager, a, a guy named Flavio Monopoly used to tease me incessantly every night that he would say, no one ever leaves humming the light show. And then about a week in, and he and the guitar tech would text me during the show um, and say, oh, I really like that lighting, that light look. Oh, wow, you missed that cue. Like that kind of thing. We had this back and forth. Uh, and then he got really sassy while we were getting on the bus. And I, he turned around and said to me, well, no one leaves home on the light show, Fox. I said, well, Flab, without me, it's just radio. <laughs> and like everyone stopped. <laughs> and then we all had a really good laugh about it. Um, I tour manage uh, a band called Platinum Blonde, which I'm sure I've many, heard. I've heard of. <laughs> many people have heard of, especially yeah. if you're in Canada. Uh, and I have several amazingly hilarious stories um, about that band. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite classic ones is uh, so typically when you're when you're touring with a band, you show up at the airport three hours early. Cause you've got bat, you've got like guitars you're flying and all your, all your gear. So, yeah, yeah. um, it was a pretty busy day that day at Pearson. Uh, and I believe we had a huge amount of issues with air Canada that day with the amount of stuff we had and Where some were you of it flying? was overweight. I f we were flying to Winnipeg actually, okay. um, to play at McPhillips station casino, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This would have been, yeah, 2012, 2011, 2012. Um, and so it took like two hours to get through the process of like from grabbing our boarding passes, from paying for overweight, getting the, all the stuff through oversized and through security. Because uh, this is before Nexus. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a Nexus card. So I, that meant we were like in long lines. And I think we got through security with about 10 minutes before they started calling boarding. <laughs> And Mark decides, well, I've got, I've got to eat, mate. I can't get on the plane without eating. <laughs> so he goes to the restaurant next to 
the gate and orders lunch. I think it was lunch at that point. Uh, so I, I go in with him, obviously, uh, and, and I didn't order anything. He ordered a whole slew of food that he was going to get to go to take out. And so like 10 minutes goes by, they start calling everyone's name. Or they start calling the first boarding, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we got lots of time. We got lots of time. But it took that restaurant like th- must have been like 35, 40 minutes because everybody else was on the plane and they were about to close the doors. And I'm like, Mark, we got to go. Like the the, the, the plane's going to leave without it. It's like, no, I'm, I've, I can't get on without, without my food. And I'm like, I'm watching my watch. I'm watching mm-hmm. over there. Finally, the food comes out because I already paid for it, right? And I felt oh. really bad, but I'm like, this is the worst. And so we're like, we book it out of the restaurant as they're closing the door. And I'm like, well, we're, we're there. And they're like, We've been calling you for 20 minutes. Where have you been? And, we're, and Mark's like, oh, I had to get food. And then we walked on the plane. And I was like, I sat down, like hands in my knees, just like, oh, my God. The band, the rest of the band and the crew were on the on the plane. Like, where the fuck were you? They're like, Mark had to get food. Like, you're kidding. I'm like, no, not kidding. And we, we got – Mark's like, I had to eat. And we're just like, oh, my God. I can't. I can't. Yeah, I have thousands of stories from from touring with that band. I it I have been touring with that band since 2011. Are they still yeah. active? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We did a couple of shows last year. Cool. Um, when we got to uh, the three, which isn't so bad, and then we have a bunch on the like when everything opens up again, mm-hmm. back on the road again. But yeah, we were doing I want to say like 20 to 30 shows a year last uh like before the before the pandemic that's cool yeah yeah i mean mark i met mark working at his club he actually interviewed me for the job at his club um i worked at mod club here in toronto for two years like 2009 2011 um and mark was uh ryan campbell who is also known as stumpy was the house tech there he's he's now with city in color and the arkells and big bands um but he's the one that recommended me to mark uh and so i like sat to go do an interview with this guy who i didn't even remember who he like i didn't being a child of the 80s i should have known who he was but he looks so drastically different <laughs> from the guy you'd see in a platinum blonde video so i didn't even realize who he was until after like way afterwards um and uh i remember he was he was an hour and a half late for the meeting i was like right after the mod club like i get his car had trouble or whatever he kept texting me saying yeah oh, yeah i'll be there shortly i'll be there shortly and i'm literally sitting there for like an hour and a half and i'm like what's going on and this british dude walks in and talks to me about uh about lighting and talks to me about you know what he expects and i'm like okay yeah sure i'll try it out for a couple of days let's see let's see how this is and then i ended up doing two years there he's the only person like one of the only artists sorry not one of the only artists i've worked with a few artists but he's the one that is the most one of the most particular about how the lights have to look it was the same way when he dj'd at the club it had to be like your lights had to be always in time with the music uh-huh. doesn't matter what song it is you need to be there uh and i thought i was a hot shot lighting programmer before i worked at mod club <laughs> and then uh i learned that i was not a hot shot pro- as, as good as i thought i was um but in my two years of working there, and to his credit, which I know I put saying this on air and I normally wouldn't, but to his credit, I became a better lighting person because of him, because of his insistence of, no, 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 this is what looks good. 
you don't want to do this. Uh, like abstract concepts, like why, why is it so bright on stage? Mm. Uh, things like everyone, like why, you know, w- there's nothing wrong with just a silhouette of backlight. Like there's like, you don't need front light to achieve the means. Like he, he had all these, like we did all sorts of crazy stuff from confetti cannons to CO2 and all these like weird, like, strobe flowers and all sorts of strange things during his DJ sets just to like make it look interesting. I would have never have thought of lighting a mirror ball in yellow and dropping bubbles on the crowd. That would have never come up in my head when I'm doing lights to an Oasis tune. And yet like just things that I guess as an artist that he is in a music, like a, a, like a musician, an artist, they see things differently. So like I would have never thought of some of these concepts. And now I'm like, Oh, and, and now, like, some of them are just things I have in my programming in the back of my head, of, like, this look or, like, this thought process of, like, when you go to something, like, as, if it's, like, some sort of acapella voice thing, you go to, like, solid white spots from behind and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Like, swapping to, to, like, using darkness as my filler as, and as, as my texture as opposed to using light. Um, I would have never thought of that without doing uh, thousands of DJ nights for Mark. Wow. And now I'm... Well, so, it's, so this guy knows what he wants. He's got the creative eye, and that's oh yeah, it's and great. timing is important, right? And that's the thing. Yeah, indeed. Oh, that's that's DJ Link. Have you tried it? No, I haven't ever needed to. Um, I haven't been. Sorry, I will say I haven't had the chance to be in a club with the DJ Link to try it. Yeah, I haven't tried I it, it either. Out. But it's it seems to be, well. You're basically just sucking the uh, the BPM out of whatever's playing. He's pulling the Pulling yeah. the yeah the BPM and the t- not 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 time code essentially well you could with timeline now you could time code it um, yeah but time code doesn't really mean anything I mean you need you need to have the beat and yeah, time code doesn't necessarily the... give you the beat of what's playing nope but time code so. will give you like the song length and like you could program if you knew the song really well you could program based on that yeah um, but I mean it's it's uh, there's all these new fancy toys you can try to do stuff with. <laughs> it's just a matter of having the application to do it in yeah. uh, and the time to program it, right? Um, it's really, yeah, you, you, you want to spend like a couple of days with the rig just to fine tune and build something, right? Yeah. If you build like, have a week of, pre-prep or something in a space where you can go this is the, the package i'm taking on tour i can program my thousands of lighting cues that are being picked up off of by a timeline where i can just go set macro one start the set list and go that way mm. uh, and then have momentaries or bumps for when you want to accent stuff but have the basic of your show run and then you can override to do extra stuff on top of it but that again layering and that sort of time you can do a lot of that in some level of pre-risen capture, but it's it's not the same as like sitting in the room with it, right? Oh yeah, of course, of course. I mean, simulation is is one thing. I think simulation gets you, uh, allows you to get the basics down, but the real creativity is is on the spot. It's how you feel it. It's you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens um, that is not technical. It's it's a feeling. Yeah. And yeah. and I think that Mark had it when when he said that you know backlighting is okay uh, without necessarily uh, key lighting, um, and and I've always been like a big fan of that. 
like mm-hmm. doing weird stuff. And it, it all depends on, you know, who's on stage and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and who's, who's watching who's on stage. Is it the crowd that's watching or is it cameras that's watching? So uh, it's, it's always really interesting the size of the band too. I mean, like Platinum Blonde was three people. Right. I mean, we were five in the beginning, then back down to the original three when we started touring the Staying in the Dark record, uh, the 30th anniversary. But like Dwayne Gretzky, the band I did my live stream for and the band, they're they're a big. They're a cover band, like they're a 15 person cover band or 21 up to 21 people when we did the 2000 show. So they're a big band. And obviously, you know, you have to keep that in mind. There's four singers and they all play different instruments. They move around. Some of the singers play guitar, some of the singers play bass, some of them, you know, they, they, they play percussion uh, or keys. Uh, so being able to adapt on the fly and see where they're going and then like have lights focused on the correct people or like the correct solos in each of the random songs they're playing, mm. it's, it's challenging. But also that's where that's where simulation actually helps like for all those pre all the shows that i've pre-programmed all i'm doing at home is basically setting value colors for each song i'm building effects that i know i'm going to update but having all of the stuff everything but positions built so that when i go in i go positions go here i don't like how that translated actually on the fixtures i don't like how that looks okay i'm going to change that change that change that i'm going to do this um so I feel like simulation or like the like capture and previs gives you like 65% of the, of the homework. And then you get to the venue and 45 is finessing and making it go. Yeah. And then the good thing about being on tour, the thing that you miss about being on tour is after you're in a rhythm on the tour, you show up, you load in your floor package, the stuff you've programmed your whole show for, and then you dump in the actual light, the house rig, if you want or aspects of it and then you just update the show consistently every day yeah you're basically updating positions yep yeah well that's fine when when you're when you're able to get something down synchronized and just move it from venue to venue oh that's cool it takes a while to you know to get it right but uh once once it's all up and running man it's 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 a pleasure oh yeah it's it's everything yeah, because then you then you can have fun. You don't have to, you know. It's <laughs> that's cool. The best ninety minutes of the of of the day is the show. From start to finish, the the house lights coming down and the band walking on stage to the end of the encore is the best part of the day. Yeah, and all that is the focus. Yeah, that and the beer after the truck has been loaded. Oh yeah, truck beers are a thing for sure. That's not too bad either. <laughs> no, I absolutely. And I say that, and and probably I I go right to bed, you know, at my age. <laughs> mm. But because um, I used to be, uh, you know, I, I used to enjoy it very much, and uh, I I realized that my last touring years uh, I was pretty quiet, and we were uh, we we'd be two guys sharing a room. And uh, I'd let the sound guy have the desk, so he put his laptop there, and I'd take the ironing board and spread it across the two beds, and that would be my desk. Huh. <laughs> and that worked. <laughs> I haven't seen the ironing board trick. That's new. You learn something every day. I yeah, because yeah, I get the comfy chair. Oh, uh, okay. 
You grab the comfy chair and you put it in between. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You move, you know, you got to move furniture around. In, in, you got to move furniture is, around, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you set up the room the way you want it, and then, then you're good for the night. Say, <laughs> <laughs> hey, fun, funky question. Have, have you had, yeah. um, you know, these uh, newcomers, uh, newbies, technicians, uh, have you had a lot of them come up to you and, and ask you questions and and uh, try to get you know information and, and and ask you about how you got to where you where you are now and and uh, and what they can do you know passionate people who want to learn have you ever yeah. had these people come I up have, to you all the time actually um which i'm actually very very uh thankful for i really one of the things i really enjoy and have enjoyed in the past while uh when i go on tour or when i'm touring into different venues uh, I mean, I, I have my reputation of because I toured with uh, July Talk and, a, and Platinum Blonde and Serena Ryder and a bunch of other bands, my courts here. Uh, it, so I'm the guy that shows up with the courts and goes, oh, yeah, you just put that in my way away. I don't want to use that. I'm going to use this. <laughs> uh, and they look at me with this like, what are you doing? Um, and they go, well, it's OK. You'll see. Um, you know, we'll, we'll swap consoles at the end, you know, when, when I go on. But don't worry about it. Um, but I I always when I meet someone in a, in a new city or whatever, and I'll, I'll ask them things like, uh, if it's a hog four, I'm like, Oh, do you know about, um, do you know how to do this on this console? And if they say no, my response is, would you like me to show you? Right. So I've spent a lot of my time and more recently, uh, being a lot more open book about basically anything. I mean, if you don't know how to do something or someone sees me do something like, well, how did you do that? I'm like, Oh, it, I did it this way. This is how you do that. Hmm. Uh, to give them that, uh, that grain of knowledge and that like tips to make them better programmers or if someone asks me advice, then I'm like, okay, well, here's how you get, I mean, I, I fell into a lot of my touring, uh, through relate through relations of, of people I know, or people were like, well, I'd, I'd be cool to have that guy on the bus because he's, you know, pretty cool. Like he's not a, he's not going to be somebody I don't want to hang out with. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of like technical expertise, it, like explaining how to think about your layout, right? How your console is laid out and why you lay it out that way. Uh, knowing why the board is doing something, or if you push the button the wrong way, why it didn't do something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I do a bunch of, I do mentoring here in Toronto a lot. Um, and I just actually did a phone call with a buddy of mine who used to be one of the letting, uh, he's now at West in Vancouver, but he, he's running a grand MA course and he had questions about, well, what would you, what, what advice would you give to people like just learning? I'm like, okay, well, here are the things to set up and think about because for a corporate show, you need a ballyhoo, a podium special and a couple of looks. Yeah. Here's what you think about, find out what the color and branding colors are for the, the client, um, have a, have a podium look. Um, have a slow ballyhoo if you need it. Like things that you'll always need, like have a cool gobo look for the ceiling or, you know, a walk-in look. Just things to think about to have in your back pocket so that they're already programmed. So when someone comes to you and goes, oh my God, doors are in five minutes. You go, okay, lights are on, we're good to go. And yeah. then you can just be calm and collected about it. Uh, so yeah, advice-wise, I get asked for advice all the time. Uh, and I give advice, hopefully good advice, uh, to people of what they should do if they're interested or they want to move forward in their career or how to do that. Um, but basically it comes down to punctuality and attitude. 
always be 15 minutes early for the call. Uh, no one's waiting on you. you there, uh, you're always there early. Uh, and always have a good attitude. Uh, don't be the person who complains about everything. Um, you're going to have terrible gigs where either you're pulling tons of feeder or you get someone didn't order the right bit to make things happen. Like you got a bunch of three pin fixtures and all you got was five pin data. It's going to happen, <laughs> but you know, be creative, figure out a way to make it go. People are going to remember that. Also, people are going to remember if you're an asshole all the time, just not what you want. You yeah. get farther being the good person who helps everybody out and not at your own expense, obviously do your job first. But if you find yourself with some time and someone needs a hand, you give them a hand. Yeah, and that will get you farther in life than it will if you're like, uh, you know, oh, I'm just the lighting guy. I'm I'm only doing my light thing. And you, if you're not, if you only hang things on the truss for yourself, and you only cable for yourself, and you don't think about the rest of the picture, then that's all you're gonna be. You're gonna be that sad lighting person in the corner by themselves. Yeah, and you're gonna wind up like it happened to me once, where I had uh, a very complex rig in a convention center, and uh, mm -hmm. I had put breakouts on every truss so that we can bring them down one by one uh, at this mm -hmm. mantle. And at the end of the gig, uh, realized that there was one 200-foot U-ground cable that was going through the whole rig that the video guys passed through at the last minute. Right. So, um, well, the guys wound up with four 50-foot extensions. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I was definitely not going to make the thing so complex to have to have to bring down the whole rig at once. I mean, it, it didn't make sense. Anyway, what no, you're saying sure. there um, of uh, you know all all the uh, the good advice that you're giving there that that is uh, that's gold, and it's something I like to to tell people is that if you uh, if you aspire in in becoming you know a, a lightboard operator or a sound guy or whatever it is. Um, you're looking at, I figure, do your job properly, have a great attitude and, and all that. And as soon as you have some spare time, spot the guy who's doing what you want to do. Go talk to him, ask or a guy or girl, go ask mm -hmm. questions. I mean, 99.9 .9 times uh, out of 100, it, you'll find somebody who's passionate and who wants to share, who who will mm -hmm. be more than happy to answer questions. Once in a while, you'll get the guy who, you know, doesn't care about anybody and does his own thing and doesn't want to talk that it's pretty rare i mean most of us are passionate and, and, and we love to we love to share and we uh, you know I'll, and 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 i'm so happy sometimes i'll i'll have you know uh, a board operator being mentioned in a gala or something by somebody who won a, a prize or a Juno or whatever it is, say, well, I want to thank my crew. And then they start thanking people and, hey, I trained that guy, you know? Yep. <laughs> it's such a great yeah. feeling. It's like, okay, man, you know, I, was, I gave that guy a chance and, and look where he is today. So yep. it's a great feeling. My other big advice to lighting designers, um, and I've, I've said this to a couple of my protégés, is, I mean, you can program with hundreds of moving lights in capture. You can program with universes upon universes. You can take up as many parameters as you want. But sometimes the coolest gigs are like four lights. Yep. Like it's it, the size. Everyone wants to do the big shows. And the big shows are massive and they're complicated and they have time. Like there's so much there. And sometimes that is the coolest gig. 
but most of the time it's not. And most realistic expectations is like there's nothing wrong with doing lights for you know with 24k of pars and four movers, man. Like that's yep. That's still a great show. That's still like really cool to do. I mean, whether you're doing lights at the Phoenix or the Horseshoe or at History or any of these big clubs in Toronto, like the show is as good as you make it with the tools that you have. Uh, and if you say you need hundreds of lights to make something happen, I'm not really confident what you can do. Mm. You can do the most with four park hands, then this is then than you can with a hundred. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you, you remind me of one gig. I was doing a corporate gig where I had, you know, a, a pretty good rig. And there was this uh, Beatles uh, tribute band that comes on. And so I asked the producer, hmm. I said, OK, what uh, what era are we doing? I mean, are we doing Sergeant Pepper? Or are we doing, you know, the, the black suit and tie? He says, well, we're doing the, you know, the beginning, the, the black suit and tie. I said, fine. So here was I had one light cue. I had four Mac 250s. One on each, <laughs> one on each member of the band. Shut everything else off, as if there were four four follow spots that aren't moving on each member yep. of the band. It's the result was as if we switched to black and white. Yep, it was just that crazy. Been amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody had the shivers, and it's it was like the yeah. stupidest light cue I've ever done, but <laughs> it really worked. <laughs> the uh, one of my we were doing a fashion show for a corporate event uh, and we built this massive rectangular truss in the middle and there's this carpet like this, the runway runs. Um, it's lined with studio spot 575s, uh, high end fixtures. Yeah. This is again, way, way back. Yeah. Um, they were cool. It was like, uh, it does know them. Oh yeah. They're great. They're yeah. Color mixing. They were pretty punchy actually. Yeah. Um, and one of my best friends who works for Adamson now, I'll always say that he's like, I figured out how amazing of a lighting person Fox was when at doors, they wanted the lights to follow from the start of the carpet to this, to the center square with the moving lights. Mm -hmm. And instead of like every light guy going, there's no way Fox, I, I said, all right, I can do that. And when I want a Pearl 2000. I'm like, okay. And then I sat there and I followed them using pan and tilt 140 feet. Wow. With 12 with 12 studio spots and that was the that was the the cool moment of like ha whoa. Yeah, that's uh I I can't tell you how it's done on a pearl because I haven't worked enough on a pearl, but I no, used to do it with a Compulite saber. Yep. Where you you were able to map out, you know, you you you'd make your your four corners, you'd program your four corners with all your lights. And then yep. you'd grab one, and then there was this uh, function called follow the leader. Oh, so cool. all your other lights would would rely on the first one and then make their own calculations within the grid. And they'd all, huh. you know, yeah, if, on, a, on, a, on a skating rink, it was amazing. You could use all your moving lights. Oh, yeah, that'd lights. be amazing on, a, on yeah. a skating rink, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, I've never seen that feature. Ah, man. It, it, have you ever worked on CompuLite uh, consoles? Not not enough. Huh. I, I know Brad Wagg was a big a big proponent of them, the vector mm -hmm. and a couple other ones, but I've, I've touched one, I think twice. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's a complicated thing. board, but, uh, you know, if you spend enough time on it, you, you get to learn yeah, all sure. the, all the bits and pieces. And it's, it's an amazing, uh, well, it was an amazing board because I don't think you can find a working one anymore or maybe in Probably a museum not, no. or something. Um, but I mean, there were features on that that were just amazing, but 
it you know it, it was it was a little more complicated because you're working with numbers you're not working with graphics so yeah. it's 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 a bit more complicated but you could accomplish some fantastic stuff with that so yeah so you managed to do it on a pearl man you'll have to tell me one of these days how you did that oh it was <laughs> i was literally just using dials and ensuring that like so to, to do it the like the set it, it's it's almost like magic right so all you do is because you've got the the towers all uh following um i didn't even use pallets it was like so the only pallet i had was everything to the at the start and then i just used the the encoder wheels to pull and all you do is you just made sure that the this the pan and tilt settings for the studio spots were all the same mm-hmm. so it would follow in and that's one of the things that i i because of that and a couple other things the first piece of advice that i give to new techs i'm like okay you you roll into a venue you put everything up you turn all it all on you grab every one of your fixtures and you turn your tilt wheel halfway one way <laughs> then you figure out which co- which lights aren't the way they're supposed to yeah. and you fix that then you do it with pan and you make sure all your pan matches because if you get three hours into programming and discover that like two fixtures out of six have different uh uh pan or tilt inverted yeah. you've just wasted three hours yeah. of programming yeah happened to me <laughs> oh no we've all done it we've yeah. all done it but it's it's now one of those like am i outputting the right dmx to the right ports yep great do all of my lights move the same way yep okay great now i can program yeah but if you yeah. don't don't check those first you've already skipped enough steps that you're gonna like you're gonna find you're gonna run yourself into corner somewhere right <laughs> yeah indeed fox it's been a great interview I'm, yeah uh, thanks cloud it's great talking gonna to you. have to go uh yep. but listen it's it, it was really great i'm uh i'm very happy that you have accepted to do this it's gonna be a yeah, great thank episode you very much for this yeah i can't wait this is great I really Amazing. appreciate it. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll edit. Not much to edit. I mean, it's it's pretty much gonna go live, but I'll I'll let you know when it's uh, when it's online. Awesome. All right. Thanks well, very much. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. I'll let you know when I'm in Montreal. Thanks, Claude. Hey, yeah. Please do. Please do. I Ta- will. Cheers. Take care, man. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. The Backstage Cowboys podcast is brought to you by AVL Media Group and Avolites, who make the best lighting consoles in the world. If you live in Canada, you now have access to the Avolites Academy online learning platform. The cost is $229, and that includes an editor Avo key delivered directly to your door. Head on over to BackstageCowboys.com and click on the Avolites Academy logo to get all the details.